Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. to this broadcast of Black Talk Radio News on this Monday morning. Uh, Today's date is June the 24th, 2019. Thank you for joining us this morning here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Of course, please continue to support the efforts of the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. The Black Talk Media Project is a new media organization that seeks to elevate independent black voices on the issues that impact us the most, as well as general topics that concern humanity as a whole. So please continue to support. You can go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. You'll see a PayPal button, but you don't have to have a PayPal account to make a donation. You can set up, uh, make a one-time donation, set up a monthly donation. Uh, You can use a credit card. You can use a debit card. You do not have to have a PayPal account to make the donation through our PayPal account. Also, uh, let me see. Well, man, I'm so used to doing Tando Radio Show that I was just about to, uh, I got Dave in my head talking about precious metals, right? Okay, um, but yeah, if you're interested in precious metals, please uh, check out prosperitymint.com. You'll see advertisements or promos on Black Talk Radio Network, primarily in the Tando Radio Show uh, archives. And But please contact Dave before you purchase any of those precious metals. Man, I'm like, wow, I'm thinking about Dave, and Dave will be back. Um, I got a question uh, from one of the listeners of the Black Talk Radio Network about why Dave hasn't been on air and where to find his archives. Again, if you didn't hear uh, Dave, when I brought back BTR News Live as a live program, I was podcasting, but when I brought it back as a live program, I had Dave come on and explain uh, why he wasn't going to do the show. Um, well, let me put it this way, why he was going on hiatus. And that's because he recently took a position uh, with the company and he needs to get caught up or familiarize himself uh, with his duties in that new position uh, with that company. It's a transportation company. And once he gets up to speed with that, Um, Because he's having to do a a whole lot of work outside of nine to five. Um, So, you know, he will be bringing back Tando radio show. All right. So this morning, my main topic, I'm going to continue to discuss reparations. 
Uh, we had the HR 40 hearing. Um, it, it was called what HR 40 and restorative justice, something uh, along those lines. But there was a hearing last week uh, in Congress. Uh, in front of a, a committee in, the, I think it was the judiciary. I'm not sure, um, but anyway, people are still talking about it as rightly um, they should. And you know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. I'm not saying we shouldn't break down the opposition, but when we're talking about other black people, like the two black men that the Republicans call to speak out against reparations. Again, those who are familiar um, with the work of Mr. Neely Fuller, his observations and his conclusions. Uh, he came up with a term called racial showcasing. And he's saying that's when white supremacists get a black person to showcase them to represent that white supremacist interests. And, that person, that person is being showcased, may be a willing participant or they may be a unwitting uh, lead victim. Okay, so I, while it is important to break down the fallacies of their arguments, I just don't like it when people get into name calling um, and calling them coons or whatever derogatory name that people have thought of over the years for black people, uh, we, we shouldn't get engaged in something like that. All right. Um, but I am going to take target. I, I am going to uh, take aim at a suspected racist white person who's a conservative and he's a Washington DC lawyer. Um, I think he's associated I, when I was looking up information on, I'm going off of memory. Um, he belongs to a right wing think tank. I can't recall the name right now, but he wrote an article and it's, his name is Hans Bader. You can also find him on Twitter. Actually, I hope he's tuned in and Mr. Bader, if you're listening, um, please give us a call, 704-802-5056, as I tweeted at him this morning about my intent this morning to break down his article that opines that reparations is unconstitutional, and but he's using deception and misinformation. For example, he says that reparations are a racial handout, all right, Um yeah, and I'll I'll pull up the article when I when I get to that segment and, and break it down. But if you look up the legal definition, again, we're talking about a lawyer. He's being intentionally deceptive because that's what suspected racists do. I can't say he a white supremacist for sure because I don't know um, what his beliefs are in terms of race. But we know a lot of uh, races are codified. They're codified and they don't use the the blatant. Uh, racist language and they don't praise segregationists like Joe Biden and, and what have you um, but they will blow race racial dog whistles which are signals that only racists are supposed to hear but of course you know it, it, if you are a person who has good English comprehension um, especially since we're talking about people who speak English and write English. If you got a good English comprehension, you can read in between the lines, as they say. But he's a lawyer, 
And so he should be looking at it from a legal perspective, which he pretends to do, but he gets into a lot of conflation with things unrelated. And again, he called it a racial handout. And and so he's saying racial handouts are unconstitutional. Well, they are, but reparations isn't a racial handout. I looked up the definition, the legal definition of reparations, and in jurisprudence, reparation is replenishment of a previously inflicted loss by the criminal to the victim. Monetary restitution is a common form of reparations. Um, He also says in his articles that reparations would cost trillions of dollars. How does he know that? Where, how did he come up with that estimate? Okay. Because a reparations committee hasn't been convened. H.R. 40 has not been passed into law. The the uh, commission to study the issue of reparations hasn't been appointed. And they and since it hasn't been appointed and done its work and done its research, there are no reparations recommendations. So what is, uh, I, he fails to articulate in his article of how he came up with the figure. And again, he, he's being, I, I think he might go into some details um, in the article. I think he mentions 14 million, but he says in the title, reparations would cost trillions and are unconstitutional. Again, he's using flawed logic and he's not ignorant. I, I don't think he's ignorant about these issues. He's a trained lawyer. But I digress because I know plenty. I'm not going to say I know plenty, but I have seen a few attorneys who do not even recognize or able to comprehend that the 13th Amendment, which he mentions in his article, never abolished slavery, but created a new form of slavery. See, the United Nations recognize that slavery, just like reparations can take various forms, so can slavery. And if you look at the uh, declaration, the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which the United States, and I believe it was in 1948 or 49, um, it's one of those uh, years, uh, actually uh, was a signatory to the Declaration of Human Rights, but it was never ratified, so meaning that um, they just paid lip service to it. But in that Declaration of Human Rights, in there, it does prohibit slavery, and but it says it prohibits it in all its forms. So slavery can take on different forms, and, and for those who are listeners of New Abolitionist Radio, for those who are abolitionists out there, um, you know that what we are calling mass incarceration is really a continuation of slavery, all right? It's prison slavery as prescribed by the 13th Amendment. Now, so that's going to be uh, my main topic. Um, I have researched it, and we're going to break down the disinformation. Um, he, like I, I stated last week, it appears to me that conservatives and Republicans who are against reparations are using, they're trying to politicize it as well as racialize it, okay? And it, the color of the victim shouldn't matter. 
Okay? It shouldn't matter. It just happens that these victims happen to have a certain skin color, but they also have a nationality. They also have a status as victims. And not, you know, the UN even has stated such when they put together a committee to study reparations as it relates to African Americans. And in their study and recommendation that the U.S. pay reparations, now, I don't recall them recommending any set of specific policies or any monetary payment, but they just simply said, we looked at the data, we researched the history, and you owe. You owe African Americans reparations, not just for slavery, but for, they're using, you know, that, that, what, what would we call it? That metaphor for prison slavery or slavery Mass incarceration. They mentioned the uh, continued police terrorism. These are all institutional. These are government activities that's going on. So I will be breaking that down after I go through what's in the news and, and get through some news uh, stories that I would like to share with you this morning. If you have a question or a comment, you can give us a call at 704 704- 802-5056-704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice to signal me. Please watch your background noise. Now, before I get started with what's in the news, I oh, I want to apologize to a segment, a very large segment of the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network. As you know, I have been trying to acquire new programming, give uh, um, media producers, particularly radio producers, black radio producers, opportunities to reach a wider audience. We are, in case you don't know, in case you didn't see the little uh, award that we got, we were ranked by independent uh, Indian marketing research firm as the number one platform for black digital radio and podcasting, and and so I try to find people who are who are doing constructive programs, who are speaking to the issues that relate to uh, a specific oppression re- that Black people are going through, no matter where they are in the world. But we are based in the United States, so we focus mainly on the United States. But we also, since we're part of humanity, we also you know, want to talk about issues in general, like climate change or, you know, uh, um, um, protecting the environment or, you know, there's all kind of different issues that we can talk about um, in, in general, okay? Um, but, so, a new program that I had brought, and I had listened to this program for a week, and I liked what I heard. Um, I had prior uh, contact with the person because they was on as a guest on New Abolitionist Radio. I did not know that this person would use his program to engage in a term that I believe I coined called Afro-Christophobia. For those that don't know, 80% of African Americans identify as Christians. I imagine the rest of them, because I've interviewed black atheists in the past and, and you know, just just trying to get to know them and build outreach to 
that community uh, because they were, you know, interested on in black struggle. They were just atheists. Okay, so I imagine the remaining 20% are probably atheists or they may belong to the Nation of Islam or they may be traditional uh, Muslims or they may practice uh, African spiritual, what they call traditional uh, spiritual religions. For Af- So what I'm trying to say is we have a very diverse audience, but our primary audience is black Christians, which I am a black Christian. And there is a problem with Afro-Christophobia, which I define borrowing from the original clinical term of Christophobia. I, I deem it as an irrational fear, irrational fear and hatred for black Christians. Now, so I'm apologizing to our, our Christian audience. I rarely ever talk about these sort of issues. I don't come on here and try to convince you to give your life to Jesus Christ, to accept him as your Lord and Savior and, and, and all of that. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I am a Christian, but I'm not an evangelist. I try to let my behavior and my conduct, my codes of conduct, you know, speak to what my beliefs are based in. Okay. So, I rarely get in, into these issues. Of course, we will talk about religion in passing, but I do not get on here and and dog out any members of the Nation of Islam. I got relatives that, well, I got one relative that's a Nation of Islam, and he's very disrespectful to my mother. Um, man, I can't wait till I see him in person. Not that we're going to come to blows, but but... I'm going to put him in his place and let him know that ain't cool for you uh, to be be disrespecting your elder aunt and, and trying to convert her to the nation of Islam when she then told you that she don't want to be in the nation of Islam, okay? And then you, you know, just saying all kind of derogatory things, that ain't cool. But I don't get on here and I don't, I don't talk bad about Nation of Islam because I don't believe in some of their core beliefs. We're talking about, and then number one, we're talking about beliefs. We're not talking about fact. I can't prove to you that Jesus Christ ever lived. I can't prove to you that there is a God and great creator. That's why it's called faith. This is why it's called beliefs. And so it's ludicrous for us to debate beliefs. It's just ludicrous. And then, you know, Malcolm X. Malcolm X was in the Nation of Islam until he said that he no longer believed in what Elijah Muhammad was teaching. He went on his pilgrimage to Mecca, and then he became um, a Sunni Muslim, I believe. Was it Sunni? I think, you know, because you got Sunnis and you got Shias. I believe he became a Sunni. But then he went on to create the Organization for African American Unity. Now he also created Muslims Incorporated. I think it was that's the name of it, Muslim Inc. or was the name of it. That was his religious, that was his religious ministry through Muslim Inc. But his ministry on behalf of all black people, because he was a pan-Africanist. But uh, 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 in advocating against creating this organization to organize black people in black struggle against white supremacy and, and, and anyone who would oppress us, 
He created the Organization for African American Unity as a non-religious organization. And then, you know, we often hear these people who I'm just going to chalk it up to being infected with Afro-Christophobia for whatever reason. But they will quote Malcolm X when he was in the Nation of Islam when he used to belittle, mock, and say all kind of derogatory things about, about black Christians. But then what they don't realize or they want to ignore because it doesn't fit their agenda is to skip over the part where when he came into his own mind, as he stated, before everything I was saying, I was saying as it was taught to me by Elijah Muhammad. Then he goes on his pilgrimage, undergoes a spiritual transformation, and he comes back and he apologizes. To, to what he called good people who did not deserve to be attacked in the way that he was attacking them. And he told his constituents, his members of the Organization of African American Unity, check your religion at the door. We're not coming together to debate who's following the right religion or whose belief is it's more accurate than we not coming on here. We not coming up in here to do this. The only religion that we going to focus on is defeating the religion of white supremacy because that is a religion too. So I just want to apologize to our, 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 our Christian audience that you had to be subjected to that mocking. Now, it's not that I'm against anybody discussing religion if it's done in a constructive fashion, if it isn't relying on, if in your arguments or whatever, your points that you want to belittle people, you want to belittle their ancestors, you want to belittle the majority of people who are are the cause of us having the relative of freedom that we have today. Again, slavery was never abolished, but they did the best that they could with the tools they had during their lifetime. We're talking about people who ran the Underground Railroad. We're talking about people who risked their... We're talking about icons. We're talking about people like Marcus Garvey, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Denmark Vesey, and many, 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 many many others. We should not be attacking each other. That's why I try to stay away from the issue because I don't want to prop myself up or what I believe at the expense of somebody else's. People will come into knowledge when they come into that knowledge. Malcolm X said, don't condemn somebody because they don't believe what you believe. They don't think what you think or as fast as you think. We're not supposed to, to, to minimize people. We're not supposed. And then if you want to take it out of religious context, we can also talk about Mr. Neely Fuller's, the 10 basic stops that victims of racism should practice in speech and or action, which is stop name calling, stop being discourteous, stop fighting, stop squabbling. Now, so a person who was on that broadcast has been on the network several times um, um, on a diff on different topics, talking about white supremacy. 
But this person was also engaging, and I told him myself, I said in a private message, I was really taken aback by the anti-blackness that was on display and that you were participating in. So I invited that person to come on and debate it on Wednesday. But after further thought, reflection, I'm not because there's nothing to debate. Now, I have said in the past that I was going to do a program on Afro-Christophobia. I put that program off. I wouldn't do it. I knew I should have done it, but I didn't do it. And what was my purpose of doing that? Not to prop up Christianity or to recruit you to Christianity, but to show you that the information that you have about our ancestors is incorrect. And to try to explain the nuances, everybody who claims that they are something are not on the same level of understanding what they claim to believe in. They're not, everyone is not as disciplined to adhere to those principles. And then there are others who we call wolves in sheep clothing who are using it to exploit people. You know, we usually call them prosperity preachers. All all Christians, that's why they have so many different denominations. Like Muslims have, have two main denominations. We're not all in agreement, even on our faith. But to use stereotypes, to use a couple of black people who said something you didn't like, to attack all black people who subscribe to that faith, is ignorance, is juvenile, it is not constructive, and it causes harm. It causes division in our community because then, then we're looking at each other as less thans. Oh, he must be stupid because he believes so-and-so. She must be dumb if she actually believed that man was, was flesh on earth. And I ain't talking about Christianity either. You know, then we start looking at each other. And then what does that do? It take us off, it takes our focus off solving the problem, which is slavery and white supremacy, also known as racism. Then you also cut off your blessings as someone because people have email email me about that or message me on Facebook about what they heard. And one of the persons was going to support this person with a financial donation and include them in a fundraiser. But this person happened to be a black Christian as well. And they was like, man, I ain't know he was like that. He, he was filled with so, so much hatred for Christians. I was going to give him a donation, a sizable donation. He's not going to get it now. See, when we talk bad about, about people in illegitimate uh, uh, ways, I ain't got a problem with talking bad about racists. But when we talk bad about people in illegitimate ways, we we don't know who is in that listening audience who might be poised to help us, might have the resources to help us, but then we come on with this crazy talk to purposely offend these people. And again, we could be talking about any religion. I could be talking about Muslims and trashing Muslims, but some Muslim businessman might, because he's black, he doesn't have to be black because white people have made donations to our network or to our nonprofit. But he's like, hey, 
I like Black Talk Radio Network. They focus on important issues. They 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 focus on people activity areas. They focus Ooh. on politics. They help us break stuff down. I'm gonna make a donation, but then I'm getting on here and I'm and I'm being I'm sounding like some some suspected racist conservative bashing Islam and talking about the Prophet Muhammad was a pedophile or or something like that. Then and see, I then I stop my blessings. I stop my blessings. There's no need to belittle anyone's religion simply because you don't subscribe to it. That we are not, this network was not built to, to belittle black people. It was not built to engage in anti-blackness under the banner of something else. So, I'm going to do the show on Afro uh, Christophobia on Wednesday. My purpose of me doing that show is to clear up any kind of misconceptions and disinformation that you may have heard about your brothers and sisters who subscribe to that to that religion because they are the ones who are most attacked. I don't see anybody attacking black atheists. I don't see anybody really attacking Nation of Islam. I don't really see anybody... Uh, attacking Sunni Muslims or Shia Muslims. It's always Christians. Now, I, I believe there's a spiritual reason for that, but that's the purpose of, of me doing that program on Wednesday. Now, I had invited the person, uh, uh, one of the people who I had a prior relationship with, who I've known for years, have had private conversations with on the telephone, and they accepted to come on Wednesday. But you know what? I, on reflection and thought, I'm like, no, I shouldn't do that because then it's going to turn into a debate. Then you're going to have people on this side who who have Afro-Christophobia and then you're going to have black Christians and then they're going to be taking one side or the other end and then it's just going to be a sparring match. It could de- delve into that, even though that ain't my intent. But I do recognize it could turn into that. Because this person seems steadfast in their beliefs and I'm steadfast in my beliefs. And I don't think I'm going to change their mind and they're certainly not going to change my mind. So what would be the purpose? I am not on here to, because we see this a lot, especially on YouTube, in what they call the black conscious community, where black conscious people taking shots at each other and arguing with each other and name-calling each other, and all kind of unconstructive guard. No, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'll do it to somebody. I will debate somebody like this guy, and I hope he's listening, Hans Bader, and Hans Bader, I'll get to you when I get to you. But I will debate people like Hans Bader, a suspected racist who wrote this article talking about reparations would be a racial handout and it's unconstitutional. I will bring somebody on like that. But I'm not going to bring on somebody who I've had a positive relationship with over the years and then this disagreement comes up and then, you know, I want to make a show of our disagreement. No, that that is not what I should do. Um, spiritually, I shouldn't. My spiritual beliefs tell me not to do that. So I, I'm not going to do that. 
not going to do that. But they are welcome. I'm going to contact them again and say, look, I don't want to debate you. But you are welcome to tune in to the program and call in to the program if you take issue or you have a different point of view. I shouldn't say take issue, but have a different point of view or a different perspective. Because listen, I hear these people, I hear people talking about truth. Truth is relative. Truth is relative to the information that you have. And you may not have all the information. Truth is relative based off of people's experiences and their perceptions. Now, there are undeniable truths like 2 plus 2 equal 4 in mathematics or 10 plus 10 equal 20. Those are undeniable truths like water is wet, the sun is hot. Okay, but People develop perspectives based off of information that they have and they may have ignored other information, but then they want to, oh, I'm just putting out the truth. No, you're not putting out the truth because that's not my truth. That's your truth. It's not my truth. So I, I don't want to go there. Now, I just, I didn't mean to even talk about it this long, but as I, as I stated though, I need to do the show on Afro-Christophobia because we're going to work together as black people. You can't be bashing people because they have a different faith than yours. I don't do it or no faith at all. I don't get on here and trash black atheists. How can you not believe in God? How can you look at creation and blah, 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 blah. No, that's not my job. That's not my job. That is not what I was called to do. I was not called to be an evangelist. I was called to do the work that I'm doing right now. And that is building independent black media platforms, giving independent black voices a platform and to help them reach a wider audience. That's what I was called to do. I wasn't called to come on here and preach to you and, and convert you to what I practice. No, I'm, I'm not. The only thing that I would like you to practice is black self-respect. And black, and since I have black self-respect and I have respect for my black elders, I, I'm not going to have people coming on here belittling, mocking, and engaging in juvenile banter about black Christians. No, we're not going to have that on this network. Again, 80% of African Americans identify as African Americans. That's 80%. 80% of the donors to Black Talk Media Project are Christians. 80% of our listening audience is Christians. Okay? And Christians don't want to hear you on Black Talk Radio talking bad about black people. We don't know. We're not having that. So um, that's all I got to say on the matter. I will. Uh, uh, I came across some nice articles, but I'm going to dispel the myths that black people only practice Christianity because of white supremacy. White people did not create Christianity. And we'll do that on Wednesday. All right. So let me get to some of what's in the news. Um, a couple of things. I'm going to start off with. Let me see if I can get to, uh, by the way, 
Um, BTR community. That's what I was trying to say at the beginning of the program instead of prosperity meant. But I'm so used to producing and helping Dave host here, though, that the intro, that was in my head. Hey, Black Talk Media Project, prosperity meant. But what I meant to say was join BTR Community, a social media platform works very similar to Facebook. Of course, we don't have the resources of Facebook, so we don't have live video streaming and all of that. But you can post videos, you can uh, post articles, work just like Facebook in that regard. All right, so please, another way that you can support our work of the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project is by becoming a member of BTR Community. Get a membership. It's just $24 a year. $24 a year. Okay? And that is a small price to pay for security, meaning that unlike these other platforms, we do not gather your personal data to sell to marketers, to sell to advertise. We don't do that. You don't even see any ads. You don't even see Google ads on btrcommunity.com. Because that is a social media community for us to interact with each other. I'm not trying to sell you anything except on the fact that you should support it. Whether you social media or, or not, buy a membership like some other members have done for your friends. Tell them, hey, we need to support our own. We need to build our own. And on that note, let me get into some of the news of the day. Now, I don't watch award shows, um, particularly entertainment. I don't even watch sports award shows. And I'm a former athlete who does like sports and, and will watch championships. And I am a Carolina Panthers fan. So every Sunday, me and my mom is sitting in front of that TV watching a Panthers game. Okay? So uh, we're both Panthers fans. And so, but I don't watch these award shows. I don't watch BET, period. I don't watch it. It's on our cable package, but I don't watch it. My mom and sister and other people who come in the house, they'll watch it. I'm not watching it. I, I don't, it just doesn't, it, they don't have the type of programming that interests me. Now, I'm not saying they don't never have interesting program, but because I don't watch it on the regular, I don't know. Unless somebody tell me about it. So, but BET, Black Entertainment Television, had a war show list. Not meant, uh, forget to mention the important fact that BET was founded by Bob Johnson and his wife. I think her name was Beverly or is Beverly Johnson. Um, they're no longer together. They're divorced. But they created Black, uh, black Entertainment um, Television. And it was pretty decent when they first started. But then they got bought out or they sold out to Viacom. Y'all know Viacom ain't run, ain't owned, and the made predominant uh, majority of stockholders ain't black. I think Bob Johnson got a seat on their board for selling it to them. So, you know, I don't, I don't watch BET. I just don't, especially not no awards show. But I do have social media. Because that's where I gather news information and, and the thoughts of people out there putting their thoughts out. And I came across on Twitter this morning a um, speech that Tyler Perry gave. And 
I'm going to play the entire speech. I'm going to play the entire speech because it also gives me uh, some background into why Tyler Perry makes the type of movies that he makes, right? Because a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, because there's no way for me to quantify that. It's not like I took a poll, but some people. Some people have, have been very critical of Tyler Perry's work. Um, they call it a bunch of cooning and shucking and jiving TV and all of that. But it gives you some insight into why most of his stuff is focused on is comedy, comedy or it has a comedic element to it. You know, I'm thinking about Meet the Browns and I would watch that show from time to time. Um, you know, but I don't watch a lot of television, but I would watch Meet the Browns from time to time. That's a Tyler Perry uh, production. Um, but he gives some insight. That's why I'm going to play the whole thing. But I was more focused on him talking about why y'all was talking about boycotting the Oscars and Oscars so white. I was building my own studio in a predominantly black and poor neighborhood building my own so I thought that was very because I can relate to that and I'll share that with you but he also gives some insight into why he makes the type of movies that he makes why he produces the type of television that he makes why it has a strong focus on women being the what would you call them the central character and everything evolves around their relationships. You know, even when you think about Big Mama, that mat, ma- how you say the word, matriarch, matriarchs, societies. So let's give a listen to the entire speech because it, it might give you some insight into who Tyler Perry is and why he makes the type of media that he makes. So let me open up this clip and play the entire five-minute clip to you. Very inspiring. Tyler, you are a brilliant visionary that embodies what the African-American dream truly is. You, sir, are an icon living. I am deeply, deeply honored to present the 2019 BET Ultimate Icon Award to my dear, dear friend, Mr. Tyler Perry. Thank you. I, uh, <laughs> I want to say a special thanks to BET, my new family. I can't wait to get started over there with our new shows. Thank you so much for this. To Scott and everybody over there, thank you so much. To Viacom, Shari, who's here, Bob, everybody. Listen, from my heart, I want to say thank you. I couldn't help but think about my mother. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. <laughs> I couldn't help but think about my mother. I remember being a kid, about five years old, she would take me into the projects with her when she played cards on Friday nights with a bunch of women. Now, these women didn't have more than a 12th grade education but they were smart black women. They were powerful black women. They had great stories to tell. And I was a five-year-old kid sitting there on the floor playing with my matchbox cars, listening to them talk about their men, their relationships, and their pains. 
And when one of them would get really sad, another woman would come in and make a joke and they'd all start laughing. I didn't know I was in a master class for my life. I would get home and my father would be beating my mother and doing all kinds of things and saying all kinds of stuff to her and he would leave the room and I'd walk in and I'd imitate one of those women and she would start laughing. There was a power in that that I didn't really get until I got older. I remember being about 11, 12 years old on my way to my new school and I got to this uh, intersection. I had to walk past pimps, prostitutes, walk through, literally walk through a graveyard, get to this intersection, six lane intersection, and there was a man standing there saying, will someone help me cross? Will someone help me cross? And there were all of these people that kept passing by him and passing by him. I said, I'll help you cross. So he told me he was going to my school and he was going to sell candy there. That's how he made his living. So I helped him cross the street to get there. We became good friends. His name was Mr. Butler. That moment reminded me of my mother bringing her out of, laugh, out of pain into laughter to help her cross. My first 10 movies were all about her subconsciously, wanting her to know that she was worthy, wanting black women to know you're worthy, you're special, you're powerful, you're amazing. All of that was about helping across. When I started hiring people like Taraji and Viola Davis and Idris Elba, they couldn't get jobs in this town, but God blessed me to be in a position to be able to hire them. I was trying to help somebody cross. When I built my studio, I built it in a neighborhood that is one of the poorest black neighborhoods in Atlanta so that young black kids could see that a black man did that and they can do it too. I was trying to help somebody cross. The studio was once a Confederate army base, and I want you to hear this, which meant that there was Confederate soldiers on that base plotting and planning on how to keep 3.9 million Negroes enslaved. Now that land is owned by one Negro. It's all about trying to help somebody cross. While everybody was fighting for a seat at the table, talking about Oscar so white, Oscar so white, I said, y'all go ahead and do that. But while you fighting for a seat at the table, I'll be down in Atlanta building my own. Because, because what I know for sure is that if I could just build this table, God would prepare it for me in the presence of my enemies. Rather than being an icon, I want to be an inspiration. So thank you, BET, my new family. Thank you, everybody. I want you to hear this. Every dreamer in this room, there are people whose lives are tied into your dream. Own your stuff. Own your business. Own your way. God bless you. Thank you, BET. Thank you, Scott. I love you guys. Thank you. All right. That was um, what I found to be a very insightful speech that, gives you some insight to who Tyler Perry is as a man and why he uses comedy as a tool to heal people, given the experiences that he had with his mother and her friends and listening to them, um, you know, discuss their problems and cheer each other up and, and what have you. So that, that gives you some insight into why, why he does what he does. Okay. You don't have to like it. But if you don't like it, instead of tearing down what he's doing, why don't you build your own? Why don't you build your own and produce what you want to produce? That just goes on too much in, in, in our community that we want, we what do they call it, hating on each other, hating on each other. Just because we don't agree with every little aspect 
of what that person may be doing, like people take issue with his uh, character that he plays himself, Medea. Oh, black man in, in, in a dress and what have you. I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from because I've heard people speak on the, you know, feminization of the black male. But at the same time, though, I'm not going to hold that against Tyler and not support him again. I, I, I don't go to the movies, though, you know. I, so what I mean is give him uh, uh, spiritual support by praying for him or, you know, just just talking him up. Because, you know, he, he is on a proper path of uplifting black people in his way. He's not tearing them down. He's building them up. But his most inspiring uh, message was on ownership. And I can relate to that. For those that don't know how BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com came to be, I started in, I had gotten injured. I was working construction. I was building bridges and operating heavy machinery. And I got injured on that job. It put me on my back for a week. Literally, I was on my back for a week because of my spinal injury. All right. It didn't paralyze me totally, but my left leg was. And I had to rehab it myself. I had to rehab myself. When I went to get treatment, they misdiagnosed me and was causing further harm. I, I, it just took me a year to get back on my feet. Now my, my left leg is as strong as my right leg. I still have some discomfort, but make a long story short, I ended up getting a settlement. But also, I discovered internet radio in 2007 on a platform called Blog Talk Radio. And I immediately saw, because I had listened to talk radio um, on the radio, in the car, or even in the house. I would listen and talk radio talking about politics. And it just really wasn't any black voices speaking on politics when I first started listening to talk radio. So I found internet radio, this platform that allows you to create your own broadcast and podcast. Save it as a podcast after you get through with your live program. And I was, I immediately saw the power in that, in giving black people a voice in the emerging new media, or y'all call it social media, but it's new media in general. And I started, I was on Black Planet at the time. This was before Facebook. Facebook didn't start until 2008. I was on Black Planet. And I belong to different groups on Black Planet discussing social political issues. So I started recruiting some of those black people and telling them about this wonderful new platform that allows us to create our own program where we can uh, uh, get these topics out to a wider audience. A lot of black people followed me over to Blog Talk Radio. A whole lot. I mean, we were really represented on black Blog Talk Radio in the early days. I don't know about now. But in the early days of its beginning, we were represented. And I was doing a program called One Black Man's View. And even then, I have matured from some of the views because the podcast is still on, on there. But I, I matured even on some of my views that I expressed there. And I was like, you know what? We got all these individuals, black people doing programs. And it's sort of like we in competition for an audience. 
hey, why don't we collaborate and bring everybody under one channel? So I created on Blog Talk Radio a, a program called Black Talk Radio. But with different people, different hosts coming on, talking about whatever area that they, you know, wanted to talk about. We had Benny Randall on talking about black entrepreneurship. We had Pan-African Radio, um, you know, talking about Pan-Africanism and the black struggle. Um, you know, I can't remember them all. Um, we had Miss V. Um, well, her name is Vanessa. Man, I didn't lost touch with these people, but Miss V was part of the network and she talked about politics and social issues. She's a black woman, of course. And um, so white people, suspected racists, started complaining to the management of Blog Talk Radio about Black Talk Radio. Were they complaining about the programs we were doing and the topics we were discussing? No, they weren't complaining about that. They were complaining about the name. They were offended by the name Black Talk Radio. Now, I don't know if this guy still works for Blog Talk Radio, but I was then called on my personal telephone by this guy asking me questions about why is my website red, black, and green? I'm like, what? You know, because they associate, some white people, suspected racists associate red, black, and green, which was the colors given to us by Marcus Garvey as our own flag in nation building and what have you. And I used those colors in, in, in my platform. I had a social media community back then. This again is before Facebook. And so he called me quit asking me these inappropriate questions and then informed me that they were banning black talk radio for a week. And I was like, you know, that's really unfair. We probably had the number one program on that platform at the time. All of our listeners started emailing management at Blog Talk Radio complaining about our removal. So I was originally, the, the station was originally banned for, for a week. I don't even know why a week, why ban us at all, simply because of the name black all right um well because you know you was uh trying to placate white supremacists complaining about nothing so when when our audience complain and we have a very huge audience at even at that time john sweet says okay we're going to um just cut it to three days we're going to restore the account and what have you blah 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 or I was like, okay, I still continue to broadcast, but I then my settlement for my injury came in. Now I took $2,000 of that settlement. I first found it. I, I used 300, I think it was 300, to get my North Carolina nonprofit charter for Black Talk Media Project as an education, new media education organization, building black platforms, teaching people how to use the technology. And then I spent the remaining 2000 on purchasing different software, purchasing different hardware, 
doing research, trying to figure out how can I create my own platform so I don't never have to worry about being on somebody else's platform and racists being able to get our voices shut down. So it took me it took me quite a while, a lot of trial and error, but I was able, you know, given my background in communications from when I was in the army and and you know uh doing working with all kind of different communications equipment. Um the training that I got on switchboards and creating um, a telephone network using low-tech uh, technology, um, what we call field uh, equipment. And I used, some of that was applicable to what I was trying to do. So I figured out a way how to take an external audio card, use a couple of wires, change the settings in the audio settings of a Windows computer, and then I was able to broadcast digital radio because there's only two types of technology to do digital radio, shoutcast and icecast, and I chose shoutcast because it was the most popular. And um, so I figured out how to be able to use a conference line to integrate callers into the live stream. No, and it was, don't believe me, other people were trying to figure this out and they couldn't do it. But I did it. I then copyrighted a manual on how to do this. I copyrighted it. I think I paid like $300 to copyright, well, probably 600 total. Might have been 400 total, but I got two different copyrights one for a technical manual and one for a DVD. That means that anybody who use any element of my technique and they make a how-to video, that I can make a copyright claim on that video. That's probably something I, I, I need to start doing. So if you're a copyright attorney and you would like to uh, do some pro bono work or based on a fee, you know, a percentage of, of whatever, we can work it out to mm -hmm. help me to properly uh, file these copyright claims on these YouTube videos. They're showing people uh, uh, how to do internet radio using any, using any element of the techniques that I developed. And there's a bunch of videos like that, right? So that's something I really, really need. I, I've been putting off. I should have been done that because that's a revenue stream for our work, Black Talk Media Project for our nonprofit. So, Black Talk Radio Network was born in 2008. It was just me by myself. Then, the context of white supremacy. Y'all know Gus T. Renegade, the host of that show, got kicked off of Blog Talk Radio. Again, white people complaining, suspected racists complaining. And their complaints were unfounded. But they got, they got banned. So, Gus contacted me. Now, he doesn't use Windows. He uses Mac. So I found a way, found software that could be used for him to use a Mac with Shoutcast to do a radio show. And, he, and Context White Supremacy has been with us ever since. And now, since 2008, we've had programs come 
and go. But BTR news in the context of white supremacy have been mainstays, have been consistently, consistently broadcasting or podcasting on the network. So I feel Tyler Perry, what he's saying about the importance of building and owning your own. So shout out to Tyler Perry. You are 100% correct. So let me take a station identification break. I, I promise you, I'm going to break down Hans Bader's nonsense or him opining that reparations would cost trillions and be unconstitutional using, as most suspected racist and confirmed white supremacists do, using deception and misinformation. You are listening to Black Talk Radio News on the Black Talk Radio Network. We will be back on the other side. Stay tuned. supremacy is a system and what does white supremacy really mean it just doesn't mean somebody being in charge no one should care about who's in charge of anything if the person is not mistreating people white supremacy is about mistreating people based on what based on the color in the skin of those people who are being mistreated that's all it is it's a form of mistreatment there are all kinds of mistreatment in the world, but that's the greatest form of mistreatment. That's why it's supreme, because it's the greatest form of mistreatment. If you want to look for mistreatment of the people anywhere on the planet, most people are being mistreated based on color. That's what it is. Hmm. You know, if it's just two people on Earth, I mean, one person might mistreat another person just because the person is jealous or, or mm-hmm. envious or something. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways to mistreat people for all kinds of reasons. But this business about racism is about mistreating people based on He's color. Black Talk Radio, your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Oh yeah, there was something else that I wanted to mention in relation uh, to Tyler Perry. And if Tyler Perry is a Christian, so if you don't know what he meant by um, my God will prepare a table for me in the presence of my my enemies. Let let me now. I told you how I was mistreated because of being black, white supremacy on Blog Talk Radio. Now that was in two thousand and eight. And again, like I mentioned, they did restore our account. Right? Maybe somebody said something to John Sweet and was like, "What you did wasn't right. You need to restore their account." I don't know what went on behind the scenes. Okay, but. 
I uh, we still had subscribers, a large amount of subscribers. So I quit broadcasting on there for a time, but then I started thinking about Sun Tzu in the Art of War. Now I'm not saying that everybody that works at Blog Talk Radio is my enemy. I'm not saying that John Sweet I know was making himself my enemy by what he did and the reasons that he did it. All right, but I started back distributing podcasts. We didn't we we didn't go back to live broadcasting. But we did start uploading our podcast because, again, our our mission or part of our mission is to reach people, to reach as many people as possible with these independent black voices. And we had had a huge following over there and I mean, still do. And so I then when they went to stop offering the platform for free to people, they still give you 15 minutes a day free to do a little short broadcast and podcast. But, you know, the most popular package is like $30. You can do a live program. It does have limitations. Uh, uh, I think you can do two hours a day, something like that. The way we do it, um, it's unlimited um, broadcast as long as you want to. But we don't offer the service to the public anymore. Um, but I digress. Let me get back to my point about my God that I believe in preparing a table for me amongst my enemies. So I had started back paying $30 a month to distribute because we distribute on TuneIn. It don't cost us anything to distribute on on TuneIn. Um, Just the work of, you know, getting the stuff posted. Um, But I was like, man, we got a huge audience over there and people still listening to the old programs. I mean, I, I, I was getting stat reports of thousands of listeners and we hadn't done a live program or even posted a podcast. So I went back to doing that. So then when it co- started costing $30, I was like, okay, let me go ahead and pay that $30 a month and just import all of our podcasts, you know, all the different programs and podcasts on blacktalkradionetwork.com and import them to our Black Talk Radio channel on there. So then money started getting tight for Black Talk Media Project, which money has always been tight for us. But, you know, um, we have been able, by the skin of our teeth, to continue our operations, you know. so And that's in large part due to people who make the donations. Even though it's a small pool, they consistently give. And that's why we've been able to maintain our operations. Haven't been really able to expand it, uh, building further on the vision of getting brick and mortar studios in black communities, underserved communities, and 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 giving them a localized uh, platform similar to Black Talk Radio um, Network. Um, but I had to stop paying at thirty dollars a month because we couldn't afford it. So then, next thing I know, I'm getting an email from Blog Talk Radio saying that Black Talk Radio qualifies for a legacy account. Well, what does that mean? It could mean we were some of the first programs on their network, but I think it means, I think it meant that, hey, you get a lot of listens on the podcast that you distribute through this, through this channel. And since you have canceled your payments, we're going to give you a free account and allow you to continue to import your podcast and and distribute the content. 
Now, they do have a revenue share program. So it went from me paying them to them paying Black Talk Media Project to distribute this content. It's not like it's a whole lot of money. I think our last revenue share payment last month might have been $80. So I went from paying them $30 a month to them paying Black Talk Media Project $80 here, might have been 100 another month, might have been 60 another month, but it helps make up for the lack of donations that we get. Okay, because we don't even charge people anymore to be on our network. That's why your donations are so important. So I forgot, but I wanted to share that uh, why I identify so strongly with what Tyler Perry said. Now, moving on. Some big news is coming out. I will try to find the video um, of Bernie Sanders and the other representatives from the House. He's in the Senate, of course. But they just made a free college proposal that also includes paying off all student debt. This is big. This is big. So this comes to you from Vox.com. It was written by Tara Goldshan. On, it, she published it yesterday. I know there was going to be a live stream about him and the other people announcing this. And it's probably... It's probably over by now, but it it came on, I think, at 10 a.m. this morning. Could have been 11. I'm not sure. But I'll try to find it and get the video posted to blacktalkradionetwork.com and share it in BTR community. So let me share share some of this with you. It's very important, I feel, because I while I did not find myself under crushing college debt because I um, didn't want to put my family into debt, I joined the military, something that y'all know I wish I hadn't have done, but the poverty draft and me not wanting to see my mom mortgage anything so I can go to college, um, you know, I decided to go the military route, the GI Bill route. So anyway, my sister, though, still paying off college debt. I got cousins still paying off college debt. So Senator Bernie Sanders' proposal to make college free in the United States just got bigger according to this article. He wants to erase all student debt as well, all $1.6 trillion of it. The Vermont senator will unveil the most ambitious higher education plan in the Democratic 2020 presidential primary so far on Monday. That's today. The proposal would make two- and four-year public in tribal colleges and universities tuition-free and debt-free and erase the roughly $1.6 trillion in student loan debt currently owed in the United States, and he's going to pay for it, I should say they, because uh, he, he has co-sponsors in the House. Um, but it's going to be paid for by a tax on Wall Street. You know, Wall Street, they got them trillion, that trillion-dollar bailout of, uh, because of their fraud. They got rewarded for bad behavior. Yeah, he's going to tax them. Currently, about 45 million Americans have student loans. This would cancel debt for all of them, regardless of their income or assets. That's a notable difference from Senator Elizabeth Warren's free college proposal, which also provides broad debt relief, but caps it for households with incomes over $250,000. I'm not going to read the entire article, but later on, one of the staffers for or... or, um, campaign members of Sanders campaign said that look you know 
we're not going to cap it because if you lived in a household, a wealthy household, chances are you don't have college debt, okay? It's already, you pay for it already. You, you your, your parents, your wealthy parents pay for it. So they don't, they don't cap it. And then plus two, I see the logic in that because then, you know, you can't, then you shut down those people that say, well, that's not fair. Everybody should have, I, just cause my parents is rich. I'm not rich. You should cancel the debt. So I get it. I, I, I get the political strategy in not putting a cap on it. Then you reduce the opposition. Now, so Sanders is proposing funding streams to states, tribes, and historically black colleges and universities to allow them to eliminate undergraduate tuition and fees. The bill will also increase spending on work-study programs and build up federal grant programs for low-income students for additional costs related to getting an education from housing and transportation to buying books. See, again, when we say or they say tuition-free, they're not talking about, they're talking about not paying the tuition. You still got to pay for your housing, still got to pay for your food, you still got to pay for your books and other course materials. But that's still getting rid of that tuition, that prohibitive tuition for so many people and that has put so many people in debt. Uh, man, that, that would be a big thing. So y'all can check out that the rest of that article. It's in my stream for today's program located in BTR News. If you're listening to the podcast or live stream via the post on blacktalkradionetwork.com, there is a link. It says program notes, and that links to all these stories that I'm sharing with you. Okay, now the um, next thing that I want to jump to, Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas. Okay, Clarence Thomas. No, Clarence Thomas is not a coon. Clarence Thomas is not some derogatory name that you might think of or, or something like that. Clarence Thomas is just a simply confused black person who has personally benefited from using his blackness to carve a niche out for himself among suspected racist, white supremacists, and conservatives which by default is the Republican Party. So he just showed, I, 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 you know, I, I don't know how, I don't pretend to know what's in the minds and hearts of individuals, but he just kind of went way, way out there. Even conservatives voted differently than Clarence Thomas on this issue. The issue is, racism in the courts and black people being stricken off of juries by racist prosecutors who are prosecuting black people because black people might have some empathy for, and there's been psychological studies on that. People tend to have empathy for people who look like them and they don't have empathy for people who don't look like them. There was a study involving white people that showed scientifically when they were shown images, and, and I forget how exactly how the study, and there was more than one, showed that when they saw black people doing the same activities or in the same circumstances as a white person, the empathy registered for their fellow white person, but it didn't register 
for their fellow black person. Uh, and, 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 and I guess Clarence Thomas is an exception to that rule. Most people automatically feel empathy for people who look like them. Clarence Thomas seemingly does not. But this isn't about empathy. This is about facts. This is about laws. This is about laws against discrimination, federal law. So a Mississippi prosecutor, this is written by Jeffrey Tobin or Tubin on NewYorker.com. A Mississippi prosecutor went on a racist crusade to have a black man executed. Clarence Thomas thinks that was just fine. That's the message of an astonishing decision handed down by the Supreme Court on Friday. The facts of the case, known as Flowers versus Mississippi, are straightforward. As Justice Brett Kavanaugh put it in his admirably blunt opinion for the court, in 1996, Curtis Flowers allegedly murdered four people in Winona, Mississippi. Flowers is black. He has been tried six separate times before jury for murder. The same lead prosecutor represented the state in all six trials. Flowers was convicted in the first three trials and sentenced to death. On each occasion, his conviction was overturned by the Mississippi Supreme Court on the grounds of misconduct by the prosecutor, Doug Evans, mostly in the form of keeping African-Americans off the juries. Trials four and five ended in hung juries. In the sixth trial, the one that was before the Supreme Court, Flowers was convicted, but the justices found that Evans had again discriminated against black people and thus Flowers in jury selection, and they overturned his conviction. So it says, as Kavanaugh recounted in his opinion, Evans' actions were almost cartoonishly racist. To wit, and this is this is the guy, the white guy, who was hit by the Me Too movement for alleged uh, sexual assault and improprieties um, in opposition to Donald Trump uh, putting him on the board. Now, that don't erase anything he's alleged to have done or, or any of his other views, but he's he's been, he, he made the right decision in this case. Maybe, you know, um, he just looked at the facts of the case and said, look, this was cartoonishly racist. You couldn't be any more blatantly racist against African-Americans by discriminating and keeping them off the juries. And, 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 and then so in doing so, you deprive, you deprive this man, Mr. Flowers, a jury of his own peers on purpose for racist reasons. So it goes on to say, to wit, in the six trials, this is Kavanaugh speaking, in the six trials, the state employee is preemptory challenges, that is, challenges for which no reason need be given, to strike 41 out of 42 African-American prospective jurors. In the most recent trial, the state exercised preemptory strikes against five of six black prospective jurors. In addition, Evans questioned black prospective jurors a great deal more closely than he questioned whites. As Kavanaugh observed with considerable understatement, a court confronting that kind of pattern cannot ignore it. Pattern of what? Pattern of racism is what Kavanaugh left out. But it's implied. 
Now, let's get to Thomas. Despite, I'm jumping ahead. I don't want to read the entire article. We don't have time, um, nor should we. Um, you can go check out the entire article um, by going to btrcommunity.com. That's where you'll find the links. Despite Thomas's usual silence on the bench, he did ask a question during the Flowers argument. He is clearly feeling ideologically aggressive these days. In his Flowers dissent, Thomas all but called for the overturning of the court's landmark decision in Batson versus Kentucky from 1986, which prohibits prosecutors from using their preemptory challenges in racially discriminatory ways. Earlier this year, he called for reconsideration of the New York Times Company versus Sullivan from 1964, which established modern libel law with its protections for journalistic expression. And in a decision earlier this month, Thomas made the case that the court should be more willing to overturn its precedents. Now, he goes on, I, I missed a part. Okay, he filed a dissenting opinion that was genuinely outraged, not by the prosecutor but by his fellow justices who dared to, to grant relief to Flowers, who has spent more than two decades in solitary confinement at Mississippi's notorious Parchman Prison. Thomas said that the prosecutor's behavior was blameless, and he practically sneered at his colleagues, asserting that the majority had decided the Flowers case to boost his self-esteem. Thomas saw nothing related to the law. Thomas is in his feelings. <laughs> wow. Thomas also found a way to blame the news media for the result. Perhaps the court granted, I can't pronounce this Latin word. I would have to look it up to get the breakdown of the syllable, Satorari, because the case, let me look that word up. Don't take but a minute. We all should do this. We should all look up words that we are not familiar with because they're not in common usage. It's talking about an order, a writ or order by which a higher court reviews a decision of a lower court. So Thomas is saying, saying because the case had received a fair amount of media attention, he wrote. So he's saying they only took the case because it got a lot of media attention because there was a podcast devoted strictly to this case. He said the media often seeks to titillate rather than to educate and inform. So I tell you, Thomas seems to me to be trying to titillate his suspected racist and white supremacist and conservatives supporters or his ideological colleagues. I mean, it's a dang on shame when a black man goes against white people who are experts on racism, by the way, to go against these white justices who said that this was cartoonishly racist and then he's going to come up with all of these non-legal arguments as to why he was against granting relief to this man and addressing blatant racism from the court. Oh, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, Mr. Thomas, Mr. Thomas, Mr. Thomas. I just don't, I, I just don't know what makes you tick. I really don't. 
I really don't, man. I mean, you already got the position. You got a lifetime appointment. You have garnered quite a bit of wealth from your public service job. And you don't need to please racists and white supremacists anymore. I mean, that, that's basically the same thing. But anyway, you don't need you don't need to pander to them. You got the position. You got the position. Why can't you now just act like a judge and base things on the law? And instead of opining about overturning precedents of previous cases set by the Supreme Court that upholds laws against racism in the courts. Ain't you got enough butter biscuits on your plate, bruh? Come on. I, I just, people, I tell you, man, I don't know what makes a lot of people think a tick. I just don't. I don't. All right, so check this out. I'm going to devote the last 30 minutes that we have time. It's not going to take me that long. It's not going to take me long at all. If Mr. Hans Bader is listening, please give us a call, 704 802-5056. Mr. Hans Bader, we are paging Mr. Hans Bader. Mr. Hans Bader, please report to Black Talk Radio News to talk about this crap you put out on the internet. This anti-reparations crap that you call unconstitutional that you said would cost trillions of dollars while not telling us how you arrived at that figure. And you called it Racial a racial handout. So, um, Mr. Bader, Page and Mr. Bader, if you would like to defend your position, if you would like to debate your position, please give us a call at 704-802-5056. We're gonna take a station identification break. We're gonna I need I need to um use the restroom <laughs> right quick. Um that's probably too much information, right? But I, I, I need to um, take a break, and I'm going to play some music, and we'll come back uh, as soon as I handle my business. And you're tuned in to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc. We'll be back on the other side.
performing for a crowd to be dating me as they jam and rate me for who I was and not rate me for who I am. The license that we had was like 20 years in the past. The peace with it in U.S. They thinking that was our best and our success was just a fact. We hit about all we had despite it. We don't get mad and instead we just change the status. Every show, every CD, making the doubters think again. Hurricane when we came in living like sink or swimming. We swimming since the beginning. The coverage was all on them. But we kept stroking our own way. Not lovers of every trend. So we... Live stronger, healthier, live younger Win against the grain, just like people that's low carbon So we doing it, live and direct You feel how true we is, eyewitnesses to the beauty of life Music is the rest to development Powerful, we influence the music and revolution Until we see more solutions Hey, everybody shake your head Shake out the devil now, Lazarus Raising the dead, come out the tomb, child We're alive now, we're alive now We're alive now, live it About dying and crack cocaine and the violence The station saturated with it The more our music be thriving People comparing contrast Whatever our beat lacks Is made up by the mere fact We're the only other option Seems like I'm an alien 40 plus years and up 45 is something real If the presence say they don't want The presence don't really get my presence And all my points How I think, work, play it And live it with aching joints They're acting like I'm dumb Including my only son He's 16 Acting like that he's going a 61 It's like as if hype equals might It is dumb like he knows what I'ma say before I'm done. He just hey, wants to have fun. Wanna eat, wanna lay, wanna shop, wanna look a certain way, wanna chill. You wanna stop that craziness. Who in this generation is raised up with pure laziness? Am I further dating us? I know it. They wanna put in their headphones and skate to the world. They wanna get up on their cell phone and play with little girls. I can dig it to about five feet, eleven inches. But the last inches, when my digging stops, I don't do ditches. I won't put you to death. I brought you life through my sperm and my music. Yeah, I brought it twice. So we doing it, live and direct You feel how true we is Eyewitnesses to the beauty of life Music is arrested, development Powerful, we influence the music and revolution Until we see more solutions hey. Direct. You feel how true we is, eyewitnesses to the beauty of life, music is arrested, development, powerful, we influence the music and revolution until we see more solutions, hey, everybody shake your head, check out the devil now, Lazarus, raising the dead, come out the tools, child, we're alive now, we're alive now, we're alive now, live it. Malcolm, what is your purpose here? Well, my purpose here is to remind the uh, African heads of state that there are 22 million of us in America who are also of African descent, and to remind them also that we are the victims of uh, America's colonialism or American imperialism, and that our problem is not an American problem, it's a human problem. It's not a Negro problem, it's a problem of humanity. It's not a problem of civil rights, but a problem of human rights. And what do you hope for from this conference? Well, we hope to uh, bring pressure upon them, or rather we hope to impress upon them the importance of their bringing pressure. 
and world opinion upon the United States to take some meaningful effort to solve our problem in America. We want them to help us get our problem before the United Nations and charge America with violating our human rights in the same way that South Africa is charged with violating the human rights of our people in that area. And what uh, sort of reaction have you been getting from the African leaders? Well, I've gotten a good reaction, a very sympathetic reaction, and an understanding reaction. Many of them have been misinformed by the American government into thinking that uh, black people in America don't identify with Africa, and therefore they've restrained themselves from voicing uh, their interest in our problem. But I've, I've impressed upon them that our problem is their problem, as well as their problem to our problem. PTR News. My name is Scotty Reed. I just wish Malcolm X had lived and not been murdered to see uh, his vision, his uh, vision of taking the U.S. government to the world court, to the body of nations known as the United Nations. I wish that he had been alive to see the U.N. Um, um, panel do a study on the human rights violations of African descendant people going back to slavery all the way up to this present time. Not something that happened 150 years ago to an individual who's not still uh, alive, but also to those who suffered under Jim Crow, which would include my mother, and she's definitely very much alive, okay? And so the U.N. came out with that reparations report and said the U.S. owes them reparations. That's what Malcolm X was working towards. That's why he built the Organization for African-American Unity. But his life was cut short by assassins, bullets, and he didn't see the fruition of his work. By in no means has, has have we ended racism in in the world, let alone in this country. People are still oppressed, as Mr. Fuller said, based on skin color. But it would be asinine for us to claim that we made no progress. We haven't made progress or reached the end goal as fast as, as we would like it to end. I wanted to end it yesterday. But we have achieved some victories and we have gotten some relief. But it's not enough and we must continue on. And that's what reparations is all about. That's what it's all about. So we got this guy by the name of Hans Bader on this website called Foundation for Economic Education. I would love to have Hans Bader. Uh, and then, I don't know, this must be a right-wing website because he's, he's, I don't know. Maybe he is. He says, uh, let me give you his bio. Hans, Hans Bader practices law in Washington, D.C. After studying economics and history at the University of Virginia and law at Harvard, he practiced civil rights, international trade, and constitutional law. So his credentials will make you think that he is qualified to speak on the issue. Well, he is, you would think, based on those credentials, but 
it seems like instead of being truthful about the matter, that he wants to practice deception and give his fellow anti-reparations people, and and, and that can be white or black, just like pro-reparations people are white and black, but he wanted to give them ammunition. So a lady had posted this article, and she said that this guy is citing case law and saying that it would be unconstitutional. And I was like, I responded to her, and I was like, wait a minute. How can he say it's unconstitutional when the United States government uh, most recently paid reparations out to Jewish victims? Of German, the German Holocaust assisted them. Didn't give them a whole lot of money, but assisted them in getting reparations from Germany. And then also gave them about 12000 apiece from U.S. taxpayers. That's one specific group because his, the premise of his article is that it would be unconstitutional because he's calling it a racial handout. He's using conservative dog whistles here. Okay, he's calling it a racial handouts. Although I don't, I don't subscribe to the ideology that says Jews are an ethnic group or a race. No, it's a it's a religion that people adhere to. Judaism. If you look at Israel, if you look at Ethiopia. Matter of fact, if you go to New Abolitionist Radio, um, our last interview with, was with a Ethiopian immigrant based in New York who got locked up and now is a criminal justice advocate. He most mostly um, focuses on solitary confinement as torture. He works at the UN, but he's also a Jew. He said, I'm a black Jew. He said, I'd never seen a white Jew until I came to America. But that's a specific group that was given reparations. Who else? Uh, Japanese Americans. That's a racial group. Didn't they get reparations for what was done to them? I actually posted an article of the different racial or ethnic groups. They got reparations from the United States government. Was Hans Bader then publishing articles about the unconstitutionality of paying Alaskan uh, 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 indigenous folks reparations for being put in a concentration camp during World War II? See, we know about the Japanese Americans, but I did not know about the Alaskans that were put into concentration camps under the guise of their protection for their protection. So I told her that, and I said, like, is he citing any case law? Or and she's like, yeah, he's citing case law. So I took a uh, I took a look at it, and it's bunk. It's garbage. He says, and again, he's politicizing it, making it Democrats versus Republicans, ver- as opposed to justice versus non-justice. He wants to politicize it because he knows that people are so invested in their partisan political labels that they just want to be on that team. And regardless of the truth of the matter, they're going to go along with whatever their thought leaders, ideological leaders, racist leaders go, you know, put out there. So that's why, and I mentioned this in my analysis of the HR 40 hearing last week and noting the questioning 
in the comments of the Republicans on the panel. They wanted to politicize it, make it a Democrat versus America, uh, uh, a Democrat versus Republican thing, a progressive versus a conservative thing, instead of a matter of justice. Most forms of reparations, he writes, would violate the Constitution as currently interpreted by the Supreme Court. Interprets the Constitution as usually forbidding, he, he says usually, usually, but not all the time. So he just destroyed his own argument right there. Forbidding racial handouts, and then again, it's not a racial handout. Even for historically disadvantaged groups, he says, but Supreme Court rulings against racial entitlements are mostly five to four decisions with liberal justices in dissent. So the next Democratic administration could override those rulings just by appointing left-leaning justices to replace conservative justices who die or retire. See, again, he's looking at this from a partisan stuff that's not even related to reparations. Arguments that they make on other issues like abortion or or Roe v. Wade or, or, or whatever. That's the argument he's making here. He's not making an argument based on the law, really. He's not making an argument based on justice and non-justice. He's making a politically partisan, suspected racist argument. He goes on talking about the latest political trend. He says last week, and so apparently Senator Kamala Harris has come around and she said um, that she agreed with a radio host's recent suggestion that government reparations for black Americans were necessary to address the legacies of slavery and discrimination. Ms. Harris later affirmed that support in a statement to the Times. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts also said she supported reparations for black Americans impacted by slavery. And see, again, like I said last week, it ain't just about slavery. But if you want to make it just about, I'll wait till I get to that part. But it ain't just about slavery. It's about institutional racism, a.k.a. white supremacy. It says that um, a policy that experts say could cost several trillion so the New York Times, which I cannot read because I will not pay the, the New York Times, who, by the way, is still uh, taking uh, ad revenue from racist to post racist ads like, you know, they did with Donald Trump. No, I'm not paying these people to, to, to read their website. OK, but they're saying it could cost several trillion dollars. Well, here's my pushback against that. A reparations committee. And as was stated in that hearing, it may include monetary payments. It may not. It could cost several trillion dollars in total down the road if, for example, some reparation advocates say give black Americans lifetime exemption from um, military service or also from paying taxes like American Indians don't have to pay taxes. It could be in the form of the original 40 acres in the mule that was promised to them, but then rescind it, promised to them by the U.S. government, but then rescind it when that racist uh, Andrew Johnson 
or Jackson got into power. Whoever the person was, I don't know if it was Andrew Johnson or Jackson. It was whoever Abraham Lincoln's vice president was, and then he rescinded it after Abraham Lincoln got assassinated. But my point is, there has been no reparations commission set up to gather evidence, to gather documents, to prove the case, like the UN panel did, but then come up with recommendations. So, even if we're talking a dollar amount or not, that dollar amount has not been determined. And we're talking about specific programs. Let's say, for example, um, federally guaranteed housing loans, like they have for veterans. What about that as a form of reparation? Guaranteed housing loans, guaranteed business loans. Of course, the person would have to, you know, meet all the qualifications to get a loan, but preference would be given because it's a reparations program to these African-Americans. But since there is no reparations commission, which these people are trying to prevent from even being set up, They've come up with no recommendations, so you can't put a dollar amount on it. But that, but he wants to float that because then he gets these people talking about, well, I don't want to pay. I wasn't. I didn't enslave nobody. I ain't benefit from slavery. Oh, you telling a lie? And slavery was never abolished. But I'll get to that. See, he goes on then to say reparations can cost a lot. The African nation of Zimbabwe pursued a policy of reparations. I don't know if they called it that, though. It wrecked its economy by doing so, resulting in hyperinflation and leaving even its black population worse off. See, now, this is misinformation. This is intentional deception in comparing apples to oranges. Zimbabwe did not pursue a policy of reparations. Or maybe you could put it under that. But what he's talking about is the land that Zimbabwe under Robert Mugabe took from the descendants of the racist colonialist settlers in their nation and taking their land and it wasn't their land to begin with, so taking that land and redistributing it, it to other people. Now, him talking about hyperinflation and, and listen, he's not telling you is that Zimbabwe was under sanctions. It's the sanctions that wrecked this economy. Not them taking back their land and redistributing it to its rightful owners. It was the sanctions, just like the sanctions have sought to destroy Cuba, but the Cuban people remain strong and intact. Just like they're trying to destroy Venezuela through sanctions, just like they're trying to destroy and starve Iranians. That's what John Bolton said they was going to do. Starve them. Starve them people. If they won't rise up and overthrow their government for our benefit, for the white supremacist benefit. 
So he being he's being he's leaving out a lot of facts here. Now I was critical because I did report on this of the way they did that. They could have let they could have allowed those white farmers because it did hurt their food production. They could have allowed those white farmers to stay on the land, but not as owners but as lessees, let them lease the land. Okay, they could have done it that way. And, and, or they could have created cooperatives that included those white citizens of Zimbabwe, descendants of racist settler colonialists, and, and then use them to train other citizens, Africans, Zimbabweans of African descent, and train them on agriculture. So I, I I will say that that land reform could have been done better. It could have been done better. But this ain't got nothing to do with reparations for African Americans, okay? Their economy wasn't wrecked by that land uh, 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 being distributed to its rightful owners. It was cause of sanctions, Hyperinflation is related to the sanctions. So again, he's being very dishonest. The federal government, he goes on to write, is allowed to compensate the direct, immediate victims of his own racial discrimination, even if they are all are of a particular race. Well, that's what we're saying. That's what the reparation advocates were saying, black and white pro-reparation advocates on their HR 40 board. Mr. Miller, the white attorney, who was talking about who has experience in trying to sue the uh, 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 different municipalities and states for reparations. He even said that, you know, these victims are still alive of Jim Crow, of having their land stolen, of being violently run off their land and their land redistributed to white people. So what he's trying to, he's trying to talk smack about Zimbabwe doing this is what white supremacists have done to black people in this country. First, you stole our 40 acres in the mule, which we earned by way of saving the Union and defeating the Confederacy. You couldn't have done it without those black soldiers. You couldn't have done it without people like Harriet Tubman and the network of spies she had in the South, victims of slavery. You couldn't have done it. So it ain't no handout. They earned it. And you and, 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 and that's a debt that's owed that you ain't paid. And the United States owns millions, hundreds of millions of acres of land. They, they can give us our 40 acres in a mule. No problem. And let us get to the business of recreating Black Wall Street. Whether it was in Durham, North Carolina, whether it was in Rosewood, Florida, whether it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, all successful black communities destroyed by racial terrorism, backed by the state. That ain't that wasn't 150 years ago. Some of those people are possibly still alive. See what they're trying to do is run out the clock on the people that's still alive. And why do I say that? Because I can't say that I would qualify for reparations. I did not go to segregated schools. 
I didn't even, I've never lived in a segregated neighborhood. As hard as that may be to believe. I lived in a mixed neighborhood in Detroit when as a child. I was bused as a child in elementary school. So I didn't go to segregated schools or any of that. I am not a victim of the drug war to put me into modern day slavery. But there's a whole lot of other people who are and they're still alive. So these people are victims due to the federal government and the states, which the federal government represents the states. It's supposed to be a union, remember? And then, I mean, he does say, he does stick up for Japanese Americans saying properly, the federal government acted properly in compensating the Japanese Americans it incarcerated in concentration camps during World War II. Japanese Americans lost most of their possessions in that process. Many were forced to dispose of their businesses at fire sale prices before relocating to the camps. Well, guess what you did to black businesses? Even though, contrary to the myth, we did not have a bunch of them. But when people, for example, real life example, there was a white grocer who... who allow black people to shop with him. They had to come to the back door, whatever. The only grocery store in the community. So a black person says, you know what? I'm going to open up a grocery store. He opens up a grocery store. Then the white owner of the other grocery store gathers together a racist posse or white supremacist terrorist, and they burn down that man's store. He didn't have the luxury to sell it off at fire sale prices, Okay. This was going on at the same time and after what occurred to these Japanese Americans. Like some people have said, oh, it's certain groups of white people who support reparations, except for when it's talking about African Americans. And this is an example of that. The Supreme Court stands, but according to the current Supreme Court, the federal government is not supposed to give an entire racial group special treatment. How is paying reparations special treatment or make payments to it just because different members of that group were mistreated in the past? That is considered an unconstitutional racial preference. Again, Mr. Hans Bader a reparations commission which you don't want to see established has not even set up the criteria to determine who would be eligible for reparations. And I would be okay with only my mother being the member of my immediate family that's owed reparations because she was forced to live through Jim Crow. You don't want to give it to me. I ain't been to prison. I've been in jail a couple of times, but I'm not, you know, some of that was my own fault due to my own negligence. Had to spend the weekend in jail or whatever because I got a, a stopped on a Friday, didn't have license, so I couldn't make bail until Monday. Had to stay in jail. All right. So, no, I'm not old reparations for that. Okay. But I would surmise to you that there are millions of other people. And maybe the reparations commission might say, you know what? Everybody locked up under the drug war 
impacted disproportionately uh, qualifies for reparation. Do you in field think so? I think so too. See, they want to act like these abuses is in the past. No, they not. You got concentration camps on the border right now, dude. Now, he goes on to say, this is not, let me read what the definition, the legal definition of reparations. Because, you know, you can have several different definitions. It all depends on the context. So we're talking about the context in law. In jurisprudence, reparation is replenishment of a previously inflicted loss by the criminal to the victim. Monetary restitution is a common form of reparations. Okay? Who is the criminal? The criminal is the United States government. We want to talk about hand, racial handouts. What do you call that? What FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, did for white immigrants fresh off the freaking boat? Or just second generation what did he what did he do for them? Dr. King talked about it when he said we coming to Washington, DC to get our check. How you gave them millions of acres of land, not only that, you gave them interest-free loans to mechanize those farms. Not only that, you gave them an education on agriculture so that they could run the farms. That was a racial handout that explicitly excluded African Americans. People who risked their lives in World War II to see German soldiers, prisoners of war, treated with more dignity and respect than your own soldiers, African Americans. This ain't ancient history, no matter how they try to make it ancient history. We're talking two, three generations at most. That's not ancient history. Most of the Midwest is benefiting from racial handouts their mothers and fathers or their grandfathers got from FDR. What about Social Security, which prohibited black people who, who worked in agriculture running their own farms or domestic workers who were excluded from social security. What about the black soldiers who you excluded from the GI Bill? I could go on and on and on and on. That's the work of the commission. That's the work that they, they will be making these determinations and what have you. See, all this propaganda is aimed at preventing a commission from even being set up to study the issue. They don't even want you studying the issue. Then it goes on to say, and I'm going to leave it here, man, because he's just repeating himself. Again, he's using the premise of racial handouts. He's not using the premise of the legal definition of reparations. Now he tries to, like many of them try to do, is make it all about pre-1865 slavery because, again, slavery was never abolished. But this is the last part, and then I, I'm, I'm going to uh, close out the program. Where's the part 
about even when the government is remedying the present effects of its own past discrimination, discrimination that happened more than 20 years ago, it's usually too far. See, again, he uses words like usually. Usually, that doesn't mean definitely. It means that they have made exceptions, right? That Right. See, you have to pay attention to words. More importantly, you need to know the definition of words. More importantly, you know need to know how to comprehend English. Everybody don't have the same reading comprehension. And thus, they don't catch these things. They fall for the propaganda. Let me let me close it out with this. He writes, those who support reparations commonly do so based on the fact that African Americans were once enslaved, but slavery ended over 150 years ago when the federal government abolished it through the 13th Amendment. No ex-slaves are even allowed today to be compensated, and it was state governments in the South, not the federal government, that were primarily responsible for the existence of slavery. Again, the panel on H.R. 40 at that last hearing, <laughs> they made it clear how the North also profited from slavery. Where do you think the industrialized North was getting their cotton from? Where do you think they were getting their agricultural products from? The, the, I mean, this should be for a historian, he's being awfully ignorant, but he's not ignorant. He knows this. He's being intentionally deceptive. Now, let's read the 13th Amendment. Let me pull it up for you. I should have it memorized, but I always paraphrase it, so let me pull it up. Because I tweeted it at Mr. Hans Bader, the text to him. I doubt if he replied. But let me pull it up. Let me pull the 13th Amendment up. Now, he just said that there are no slaves alive today because slavery was abolished in uh, 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 sixty-five with the ratification of the 13th Amendment. Now, Mr. Constitutional Scholar, Mr. English Speaker, let's read it. Section 1. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Section 2, Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. So, slavery was not abolished if you know the definition of the word except and how it's being used in this context. You, a constitutional scholar, that I would uh, assume that means you read the 13th Amendment. Why didn't you include the text of the 13th Amendment in your article? Because I peeped a long time ago when they were celebrating a fraud called the anniversary the 150th anniversary of the 13th Amendment, I saw all these articles and even made a, a video documenting it. 
where they would say, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. It said neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States. They left out the exception clause on purpose. These are writers. Left it out on purpose. I documented it. Article after article after article to get people to buy into this fraud, this celebration that the United States abolished slavery. Well, let's look up the word except just in case you don't know what the word except means. It's spelled E-X-C-E-P-T. Let's look at the word except. Not including other than. Okay? It's a preposition. Not including other than. An example sentence. They work every day except Sunday. So what is this saying? What is the 13th Amendment saying? That slavery and involuntary servitude is abolished except if we convict you of a crime of a jury of your non-peers and we stack the jury with suspected racists and keep African Americans off the jury, we get that conviction, we put you into prison, now we can lease you back out to them plantations, those mines, the railroad, to continue to build America with free labor. It's going on this very day. In fact, because of uh, Donald Trump's immigration roundup, these farmers who well, apparently was hiring undocumented immigrants, and now that that cheap labor pool has been taken from them, now they're contracting with prisons to get out there and pick them vegetables. Okay? Except it's also a conjunction. Let's use it in a, uh, use that definition. Use before a statement that forms an exception to one just made. I just told you that involuntary servitude and slavery has been abolished except for if we can put you in jail or prison. Then you're fair game to become a slave. It's also a verb. Wait a minute. Let me use it in a sentence as a conjunction. I didn't tell him anything except that I needed money. Okay? We abolish slavery except if we make you a criminal. And making a criminal doesn't mean the person is a criminal. Again, I don't want to rehash the whole history of the black codes, Jim Crow laws, the racist drug war that's ongoing. You know, look that up for yourself. Lastly, for verb, formal specify as not included in a category or group to exclude. He accepted from his criticism a handful of distinguished writers. So what he's saying, it also has sentiments to exclude, to omit, to leave out, to rule out, to count out, to disregard, to pass over, to bar. You're all crooks. Present company accepted. Okay? So, so that one other sentence was saying that I ain't trying to hear none of y'all criticism except from these people over here that I respect. 
That's what the Constitution is saying. That we're going to get rid of slavery and voluntary servitude except for those that we process through the new slave uh, 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 blocks called the courts and put you in a jail or prison. Then we can work you for free or in some cases we might give you slave wages. See, there's another misconception because people don't study history. Some victims of slavery prior to 1865 Prior to the 13th Amendment, did receive wages. That's where the term slave wages came from. So meaning that, let's say one aboli- one lady who became who was a victim of slavery, who got her freedom by purchasing it, by saving up her slave wages, and be- she then became an abolitionist, she was a, a very skilled seamstress, made dresses that her captor then sold. To the public. Let's say he got $2 for a dress. Well, he or she, uh, she got two cents. That's slave wages. So, see, people make arguments and they rely on you not having all the information. Therefore, you can't retort or rebuff or repudiate what they're saying with facts. This is why reading is important. It's more as 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 they say on the cows, more important than watching television. Reading historical information is better than watching movies like Lincoln by Steven Spielberg, who only furthered this this myth that the United States abolished slavery. They did not. Okay? Reading is important. I said that was the last thing, but I got to say this, though. And I'm going to use Donald Trump. I'm going to ask this question of myself. Do I think H.R. 40 will get a full vote in Congress? And do I think it would pass during this Congress in this administration? No, is my answer. I don't. And I don't think it should be brought to a vote, given Trump will be part of the process laid out to establish a reparations commission. So if you haven't looked up H.R. 40, the bill, go look it up. The president gets to appoint a person to the panel. Senate leaders get to appoint a person to the panel. We know that's in under Mitch McConnell as opposed to reparations. He's already come out and said that. So what, who do you think he going to nominate? He probably going to uh, call on Mr. Uh, Owens, what was the guy? I forgot the guy's name. One of the uh, uh, racially showcased black people to come up and say, oh, hey, um, what was the young guy's name? Mr. Cruz um, Hughes, who said, if you give me a reparations check, you're making a victim out of me. I don't want to be a victim. Don't give me no money. Oh, my God. See, they will appoint people like that to the reparations panel. Okay. Now, I, I, um, I'm not saying you shouldn't have the hearings. You have, you can reschedule more hearings if it don't happen during this Congress, which I highly think it will not. But maybe you get in a Bernie Sanders or um, Kamala Harris or a Warren or a Cruz, people who have stated that they support reparations. I would rather have them appoint 
someone to that panel than Donald Trump. I don't know what Donald Trump would do. I don't know where Donald Trump stands on reparations. I tried this morning to find out if he's made any statements about it. I didn't find anything. Doesn't mean that he hasn't. I just didn't find it. So I don't even know where Trump stands on reparations. I don't want Trump appointing nobody. I don't want Mitch McConnell appointing nobody. So these are the things we have to consider when you're going the legislative route, which is what H.R. 40 is doing. Do you want a panel that is in good faith going to study the issue and come up with recommendations, whatever those recommendations may be? Or do you want a political theater like what the Republican witnesses gave us last week? who are going to be sitting up on a reparations commission saying, I don't want to check because you're going to make a victim out of me. These are things that, that people, some people, have, or I would say most people aren't even considering. So it might be best to wait till you get a pro-reparations president. Sanders has said he supports establishing this committee. Whether he said it to get black votes or not, that's why Why you think Elizabeth Warren or Cruz said it, or even Kamala Harris said it. Because she originally said, I ain't doing nothing for black people, specifically for black people. She said that. She was sounding like Mr. Hans Bader. But now she knows that she needs the black vote. And doing drumline, dan- drumline dances and wearing your your sorority on your sleeve and no, that ain't going to cut it. So I would rather that this commission, but again, the hard work, like Sanders said, if Congress can pass it and put it on my desk as president, I would sign it. Again, this is to establish the commission to study reparations, not to pay anybody anything, to study it and then come up with recommendations. And then once that's done, another bill will have to be submitted to implement those recommendations. See, we very, very early in the process. But I would say Trump actually gave evidence of why reparations are old. I'm going to use his own words, which he was using it as a partisan attack against Democrats. And he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. This comes to you from the right-wing website, WashingtonExaminer.com. Trump says he is undoing Bill Clinton's law that was devastating for blacks. President President Trump announced Monday the First Step Act had undone a policy of former President Bill Clinton that had devastated African Americans. The First Step Act, a bipartisan piece of legislation that looks to reform the criminal justice system, was signed into law in December. It passed the House 358 to 36 and the Senate by 87 to 12 vote. The act reverses sentencing provisions that were put in place in the 1990s by people like Joe Biden during the Clinton administration. Trump said those laws, this is Trump. 
This is Trump providing evidence or acknowledging evidence that would be used for reparations. That goes against which, what Mr. Hans Bader is, is trying to present to us. People who have been injured are still alive by and injured by government. The act reverses sentencing provisions that were put into place in the 1990s during Clinton's administration. Trump said those laws disproportionately affected the African-American community, celebrating the First Step Act for undoing those provisions. Finally, the law rolls back provisions of the 1994 Clinton crime law that was so devastating to so many and that disproportionately, and again, this right-wing website, that disproportionately impacted the African-American community. Trump said at the 2019 Prison Reform Summit in the East Room, nobody believes how much and now they understand it. In less than four months, more than 500 people with unfair sentences have been released from prison and are free to begin a new life. Well, guess what? That life would be a lot better if they got reparations. Because you're admitting this was a race-based policy targeting black people. Okay? And then what about the thousands who served their entire time, 20, 30 years, who are already out about reparations for them. This is the um, First Step Act for all of its deficiencies is actually an acknowledgement by the U.S. government that it harmed African Americans. That's out of Trump's own mouth. That's out of his own mouth. Now, whether or not he has even said anything about whether he supports reparations or not, I have not seen. He has not weighed in on this thus far that I have seen. I could be incorrect. If he has, share it with me. Send it to me, however way you need to send it to me. And I will consider it. So, here we have the federal government just enacted legislation to undo the racial harm that was caused by the Clinton administration and Democrats and Republicans alike because that was bipartisan legislation. Remember, I think it was uh, Newt Gingrich who was the House Speaker at the time. And I, and I also believe the Senate may have been in Democrats' hands at the time. So this ain't a partisan issue for me. They want to make it a politically partisan issue. You should resist. This is about justice versus injustice. This is about repairing harm that has been done to individuals very much alive. Thank you for tuning in to BTR News. My name is Scotty Reed. I broadcast this program Mondays through Fridays. I go from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Sometimes if I need to, I'll go over. You know, I, we don't have a time limit. Um, I'll be back on air tomorrow, 
at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, join btrcommunity.com. That's usually where I post what I'll be talking about as I lay out my different articles or sources. Um, you can always find my sources there. All right. So thank you for tuning in. Please continue to support the independent media efforts of the Black Talk Media Project. It is a nonprofit, so your donations are tax deductible. Um, again, you can either send us a check or money order. Black Talk Media Project. Make it out. Don't make it out to Scotty Reed. Make it out to Black Talk Media Project. P.O. Box 65, Mount Holly, North Carolina, 28120. Or you can use PayPal. Uh, any of our PayPal accounts, uh, uh, buttons that you see on our website, you can use that. You don't even have to have a PayPal account to make a financial donation, either one time or set up monthly donation. All right. With that said, recognize this country ain't never ended slavery and that a new abolitionist movement does exist that is working to finally abolish slavery once and for all for everyone. And that will, so any reparations movement must include the repeal of the 13th Amendment and replace it with an amendment that has no exceptions for slavery and involuntary servitude. Y'all be safe out there, okay? Peace and blessings to all. (laughs) 